Let's do it. So we are live on Facebook and we are live on Instagram. Hello, 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 everyone. Happy Friday. Happy Friday night. I am so happy to be here. Welcome to the Sickle Cell Podcast Live. We have a very special episode today. I'm so excited to get into this. We have some very special guests. And I guess just to get things started, like I said, it's a special episode because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And if y'all know anything about sickle cell, it can be very taxing on mental health. And so I'm excited to have people who live through it and can discuss it. And I hope you all join us in the discussion too. We really want this to be something meaningful for the community. And so encourage discussion, encourage comments. We'll be reading comments aloud. We'll be reading questions aloud as well. So first and foremost, I would like to introduce a new team member. His name is Naeem Rasul. Naeem, I don't know if you want to say a few things about yourself, but we're so excited to have him. Oh, thank you so much, Cassandra, for having me and for allowing me to be a part of Sickle Cell 101 and the Sickle Cell Nerd team. And just a little bit about myself. I am Naeem Rasul. I recently moved from New York after 10 years, and I'm back in Southern California where I'm spending time transitioning from a higher ed administrator to cannabis industry enthusiasts and inventory specialists. And in my roles in the past, I focus a lot on mental health, especially as a case manager and a director for student support and crisis management at the new school. I worked a lot with a lot of students who struggle with depression, anxiety, and other, you know, transitional things that, you know, new students coming into university environment go through. And myself also, you know, having sickle cell SC and living with bipolar one, I have struggled with my own mental health and have learned how to cope and live and thrive holistically. And so I hope to share my experience and get to know everyone and to share in the sickle cell community. So thank you for having me, Cassandra. No, thank you. And you know, I cannot let you off the hook without sharing some type of fun fact about yourself. Okay. So one thing I am a, I don't like to say it out loud, but I'm a military brat and I used to live in Hawaii for six years. That sounds amazing. I visited Hawaii once and I didn't want to leave. So yeah, it was amazing. uh, You're (laughs) you're living the dream. (laughs) I was, yeah. Wonderful. So please, you know, y'all help me welcome Naeem to the team. We're so excited to have him. Naeem, I will give the floor to you. He will be kind of the moderator and, you know, leading the discussion. And I will let you introduce our special, special guest. Well, I have the pleasure to introduce Mr. Jonathan Lassiter, Ph.D., He is coming here today to talk to us about mental health and sickle cell. And let me just get into this amazing bio of this very accomplished person. So 
Jonathan Lassiter is a PhD. He is a polymath who utilizes psychology, writing, and dance to help others heal and thrive. His roles include licensed clinical psychologist, professor, author, public speaker, and choreographer. As a public intellectual, Dr. Lassiter has been featured on television, radio, podcasts, and print such as PBS, Sirius XM, and The Hill. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Lassiter. And please, please give us a little bit about yourself. Introduce us to you, because I know you're a very dynamic individual and you have something to say today. Yes, thank you so much. I am like, this is like, so exciting for me to be here with you both. So thank you, Naeem and Cassandra, for having me on the podcast and to talk about something that is so central to my life, both mental health and sickle cell. I do have sickle cell anemia. I have SS. And so that's um, something that the people close to me know, but not a lot of people in my professional life know that, actually. And so this is sort of kind of like me letting the world in on, on something by having this public, very public conversation. But I'm very happy to do so to bring my expertise in the realm of mental health to this very important topic for this very important group that I myself am part of. So I have both the lived experience because I live it every day, as well as the professional expertise and, and training. So I'm very excited to have this conversation. But I am, I always say I'm just a Southern boy. You know, I was born and raised in Augusta, Georgia, and I've traveled all around since trying to get an education. (laughs) So I moved to New York for a little bit, and then I went to grad school in San Francisco. Then I went back to New York, and then I did a clinical internship at the Indianapolis VA, and then back to New York to do a postdoctoral. And then I had my first job in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And now I have my second job in Glassboro, New Jersey. So I'm in New Jersey. Uh, today, I'm actually in Philadelphia right now, enjoying the weekend in Philadelphia. But I've moved all over. But at heart, I'm just I'm just a Southern boy. And yeah, I'm excited to share. I'm excited to share. I guess I should say a little bit more about my professional background. As you mentioned, I am a clinical psychologist. So that means that I have a PhD in clinical psychology. My specialty is health psychology, which means that I did most of my clinical training in hospitals, medical inpatient units mostly, as well as, as I said, I worked at the Indianapolis VA. So I, again, specialize in health psychology and primary care clinics there, as well as dealing with veterans who were coming back from recent conflicts in Afghanistan, Iraq, around trauma, as also working with folks with traumatic brain injury as well and cognitive impairment. So I, uh, there is a strong health psychology emphasis in my work as a clinical psychologist. And a lot of that was inspired by my own journey dealing with a chronic illness. So when I decided to, I want to study clinical psychology, I said, I definitely want to be looking at the intersections of physical health and mental health. Thank you so much for, for letting us into like your process of coming to your clinical, you know, work and just sharing your, your professional experience with us. And I guess for me, you know, I want to also know a little, little fun fact since Cassandra had me give a fun okay. fact. Give us a little fun fact about you. Yeah. A fun fact about me is that I love dance and I went to a fine arts high school. Mm-hmm. And my fine art was dance. And you know how people letter in track and field stuff? Like I lettered in dance in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I love dancing and I minored in dance in college. And I had my own dance company 
during my postdoc in New York for a period of three years. So I love dance, ballet, modern dance, things like that. Yeah. That's great. Beautiful. So I want to go ahead and start with the, the first question, if you don't mind. And, and like I said, you know, just to provide a little backdrop, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. It is a month where, you know, we acknowledge individuals living with mental health conditions. It's also a time where we can challenge stigmas and provide support and create awareness so that people know essentially that they're not alone in all of this. And so my first question to you, Dr. Lassiter, is do you ever think about how living with sickle cell disease can impact your mental health? I'm sure you think about it all the time, actually. I live it. I live it, right? And so definitely, sickle cell definitely impacts mental health in a lot of different ways. And not all of them negative, I'll say, right? There are lots of times where sickle cell, again, I'm speaking both personally and professionally, but sickle cell can definitely cause us to get down in the dumps, right? To use colloquial term, right? It can cause us to get down in dumps, can cause us to become sad, cause us to be anxious. My friends joke with me that I like, I'm a borderline hypochondriac because, you know, with sickle cell, you're used to your body feeling pain. You're like, oh, what's that? What's that, right? And I'm I'm also one of those people that I'm like, I'm quick to tell my primary care provider. I'm like, uh, you need to figure out what's going on. <laughs> but but that's also a little anxiety producing right so sickle cell definitely can manifest in that way it can manifest in a sense of hopelessness in the sense because because we are living with a chronic illness that we have no control over and it can be sometimes it's just like we have no control over our body right and it just does what it wants to do and we just have to sort of wait it out and so it can be this hopelessness that creeps in, definitely. And it can, it can be protracted at, at times, right? Sometimes it may come and go, but sometimes it may stick around. And it can also be a sense of isolation in the sense that sometimes people don't get it. They don't understand. You know, you tell people I have sickle cell, but they don't really know what that means, <laughs> you know? And so we can feel like, we're outsiders and that no one really gets us. No one can really understand us. And then sometimes we may feel like we're a burden to others. I know there have been times in my own life where I was like, well, I don't really know if I want to let people in on every single ache and pain I'm having. Because again, sometimes the pain can be constant. It may not be constantly at a 10, but maybe it's like, you know, constantly around that you know, two to four range, right? And, but, but it's still there. And so do I want to share that, you know, and, and holding things back like that. And so it can manifest in a lot of different ways. But as I said, it can also be a positive in the sense that it can foster a sense of resiliency. It can foster a sense of, I'm actually a strong person because I survived this. And so this other thing in my life, this is child's play, right? Because I've survived this, this pain crisis, right? I've survived this last hospitalization. So I can survive people at my job getting on my nerves, right? right exactly. <laughs> I'm things. So, so it can be both a gift and a curse, as, as I call it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're spot on with, you know, how challenging it can be to deal with sickle cell. And then while you're dealing with, living with sickle cell and, and the complications that come with having a chronic illness that people don't understand, that people either are ignorant about or choose to be ignorant about, you know, 
it gives you the split in the community where some people are talking about, hey, you know, sickle cell does have impacts on your mental health, whether it's anxiety, depression, feeling hopeless, feeling guilt, feeling burdened, feeling responsible, feeling isolated, you know, all those things that you were just speaking about. And then on the flip side of that, there are some people who, or some people in the community who may not be aware of its impact on them and think that maybe they're just going through stuff and it's their fault, but it's actually not. And so, you know, there is statistics in our community that are pretty challenging to hear and to see. And I just wanted to know from you, why do you think there is this where there are people who are directly and indirectly impacted and how there's like that split in the community of people talking about mental health and also kind of like just taking it on the chin and just saying, well, if I can survive sickle cell, nothing else can get me down, but it's getting us down. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, when I hear you ask that question, what immediately comes to mind is mental health stigma, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stigma that comes along with having a chronic illness, period. And then when you have a chronic illness that is predominantly in Black people, right? The majority of folks are, uh, are of African descent who have sickle cell. And so then there's all the stigma that comes along with being a member of the Black community. And so we know there's been several studies done about how people with sickle cell are seen as drug seekers. They're not given the same medication, the same attention to care when they seek care, when they find themselves in the emergency room or needing to be hospitalized. So all of these messages are coming to us that says something's wrong with us, we're flawed, so on and so forth. And so if you're getting all those messages, some people internalize those messages and actually believe, oh my God, something is wrong with me right now can go to the depression. But then some people deny, 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 right? And then that causes them to maybe isolate or to keep things in and not get the help and refuse to acknowledge that they should talk to someone or would benefit from talking to someone, right? Because again, they have internalized it too, but they don't assimilate it in the same way and they try to react and the reaction is the denial, right? And so there's so much wrapped up in having something, having a chronic illness, particularly sickle cell, that is also layered with race and layered with medical mistreatment, right? And layered with this sort of general mentality that we have, I think, especially in the American context where it's okay to talk about physical health, but it's not okay to talk about mental health. And so with, with sickle cell, these things are intersecting. Mental health and physical health are intersecting. And we do a disservice if we are not addressing both because they affect each other. But that's not always apparent because, again, we're all socialized to think of these things as two different things, right? And it's okay to talk about physical health, but it's not okay to talk about mental health because that means something's wrong with me. And then, again, when you have all of these negative messages, these, these stigmatized labels put on you that come with having sickle cell, that with, come with being people of African descent, then it's even more complex and compounded. Yeah. And I totally hear what you're saying with that. And it resonates. And it's nice to hear a doctor really verbalize that, you know, and the fact that 
it's true that we have this complex set of emotions, complex set of like situations, complex lived experiences. And some of us have multiple illnesses. Some of us don't only have sickle cell disease that we're living with. Some of us have fibromyalgia or other kinds of lupus or other kind of autoimmune disorders or, you know, other mental health conditions, you know, even cancer. And so there's so much that we need to talk about and to deal with. And there was this statistic that we posted on Sickle Cell 101, and it was saying that 35.2% of adults with sickle cell disease suffer from some sort of depression. And so that if you look at that, that's like one in three of adults with sickle cell disease. And that's a very, very alarming statistic. And so for me, it makes me want to know, like, how do you feel about that statistic? Did you know it was that high? Yeah, I knew it was a significant problem. I stay on top of the literature around mental health and sickle cell via um, Dr. Sean Badako's research. I think he was in North Carolina, but now I think he's at University of Maryland. But I, I love his research and I stay on top of his research and I know he's done a lot in that area. And so I was familiar with the statistics. And again, it is heartbreaking, but not surprising, right? Especially yeah. given, given my position as a mental health provider, right? It's not surprising given the complexity and again, all those complex things that as people with circle cell, we have to deal with. Right. Because it's also, as you said, it's not only having co-occurring health conditions, but we also know that depending on the severity of the pain that sickle cell causes in your life, it can also cause us not to be able to work. It can also cause us to not to be able to finish school, which affects our level of education. And we all know that having lower incomes and lower education levels are also correlated with poor health outcome. So so all of these things are connected. So it's not surprising, but it is heartbreaking for me because it's just, a, again, another thing that we are required to carry and we're required to navigate. And so it becomes so much more important for there to be resources for us to, to be able to access. And quite frankly, they're just, are not enough, especially, you know, I'll, I'll share a personal revelation I had was recently was around like the care for adults with sickle cell. They're like, I remember like as a kid going to my sickle cell doc, I was just like, this is great. Like, you know, everyone's oh, like, like I loved it. I right? loved it. <laughs> you are like, a, you are the king and queen of the hospital. Exactly. Right. And then you become adult and you're like, what happened? Right. Yeah. Adult, we still need that same level of care. And it's just not there anymore. Right. In the same ways. And especially depending on where you live, if you're outside of a major hub, if there isn't like a sickle cell comprehensive center nearby. Right. Then finding that connection to mental health care can be really hard. Right. So again, I'm not surprised, but it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. And it's sad because, you know, you're already in pain. You're already fatigued. You're tired. Some of us are very isolated. Some of us are homebound, you know. And how do we break out of that stigma so that we don't feel alone? How do we break out of that, those misconceptions and, and just that split? between body and mind, 
And how do we reintegrate to be holistic and looking at that as people who are living with sickle cell or co-occurring disorders or other complex needs? Well, you know, it's multi-pronged. It's multi-pronged, right? In the sense that I, I never want to be seen as blaming the person that's trying to navigate these issues, right? So it's it's part of the work is on us. Part of the work is on us. But part of the work is on the system. The system has failed us. It is failing us. There are not enough hematologists. There are not enough people specializing in sickle cell because it's not that lucrative, right? Yeah. I, I think I, I think I had I think I actually had an MD tell me that recently in a professional setting. It wasn't like a patient provider setting. Yeah, I've it, had that happen to me as well. I've heard that. Yeah, right. It's not as lucrative. It's usually, again, working with children and we know pediatricians get paid less than other folks, right? And so it's not as lucrative. So people don't want to specialize because we live in a capitalist society, right? So it's less incentivized to specialize in it. And then also, again, the people who we do end up seeing, you know, what's their level of training in mental health treatment, right? And so, so it's both a systemic issue, definitely. And we also have work to do in that we have to, and again, I I say this with care because I realize too that there are times where our mental health is so low that if we can make it out of the bed to put something in our mouths, then we have climbed a mountain that day. So I want to be very careful as I say this Acknowledging that there still is a responsibility on us to try to have the courage to engage these supports we have around us. Now, if we're completely isolated, that's a, that's a different story, right? We should, the first step would then be to cultivate a community, even if that's a community of one, because we should not be isolated. No person should be isolated, but we definitely shouldn't be isolated when we have sickle cell. I was talking to someone a few days ago, and I said, I know personally that when I'm having a sickle cell crisis, my mental health tanks. I go down a dark hole, and I don't always make the best decisions for my health. So it's really important that I have at least one other person around me that can advocate on my behalf, right? And can say, no, Jonathan, get it together. No, Jonathan, you know, do this, do that, you know, to help me. Because in those moments, especially when it's protracted, I just want to lay down and disappear, right? And thinking about um, Infinity War, if you saw Infinity War with a snap and you just kind of like, like that's yeah, what I'm wishing in those moments, right? Like dust. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so it is exactly. So it becomes very important that we have a community around us, even if it's a community of one, it's the, of some one other person in us, but also having the courage to reach out. And sometimes part, what I tell my, what I tell my clients a lot of times is that we may reach out and we may be rejected. We may reach out and they may not know how to help us, but we need to reach out again, right? Part of connection, part of getting help is vulnerability and vulnerability sets you up to get what you need, but it also sets you up for the risk of not getting what you need. And the risk of not getting what you need, we cannot allow that to stop us from taking the chance to actually get what we need, right? It, it's, it's dual, but I believe that we have to have the courage to take that chance. I would agree with that too. I think it is very challenging 
very, very challenging when you're in a place where you don't feel well to reach out. Or if you just haven't had that memory in your body yet of mm-hmm. reaching out, yeah. you know, most the muscle memory or just whatever it is that you've done in the past to cope. And so just talking about that, I think it does highlight a lot about the importance of putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and taking the chances because yeah. it leads to beautiful things. It's a beautiful, it can lead to very beautiful things. And we just can't do this alone. I mean, again, I talk to my clients who don't have sickle cell, but in general, right, we're not meant to do life alone. And again, it's even more important when you have a chronic illness, especially sickle cell, where we need that support. We're, we're already carrying such a heavy load. We already are. We were born with it. Right. And, and think about if we if we didn't have at least one person there with us as children, we wouldn't even be here today. So right. we still need the same as adults. That need does not go away. We still need it. And it can be hard, especially in the world in which we live in, which, you know, doesn't is not necessarily conducive to reaching out. Everything's mediated by a screen. Right. But it becomes even more important. It's it's our responsibility to cultivate at least the community of one. So in those moments when we are really down in the dumps, someone can shine a light on us because otherwise we have no chance of getting out. I mean, there could be a divine <laughs> lift, but outside of that divine lift, right, it's, it's going to be really hard to get out. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And I think we have to look at the positives at the end of the day. And I think that the more we talk about the stigma of mental health, because nationally it's a stigma. So just nationally, people don't want to talk about it. And it's like admitting that you yourself or your child or a family member has any kind of mental health concern is like a reflection of some kind of character, horrible character trait. And that's not the case. Not at all. Just as common as if you got a cold You need to talk about the things that bother you, let people in, let people know what's going on. And if you don't have a person or you don't feel comfortable or you just sometimes a stranger is better sometimes, you know, there are numbers out there. There's national hotlines and things like that that we'll we'll go through at the end of this. But there is a positive point that we can, you know, pivot to when we talk about sickle cell and mental health. And I think that you're you're right on target with that. Yeah, no, and I, I just wanted to follow up with a question because you both bring up such great points. And I love the feedback, you know, not just reaching out once, but reaching out several times. For a lot of us, we think reaching out once and getting a rejection, that kind of just is it for us, right? But, you know, continually reaching out, I think is important. And I've been a little bit quiet because this is kind of a newer concept for me, you know, just considering mental health as part of my health. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, I I think before the podcast, a lot of this is still brand new to sickle cell and, and to the community where people are sending in questions and asking if there is a link between depression 
or anxiety and sickle cell. So a lot of people don't know that there's even a link between the two. And generally speaking, going outside of sickle cell, if you have a chronic illness, you're more prone to you know, mental health issues. And so I'm really glad that we're having this conversation. But for, for those of us who are, are kind of new to the, this conversation, Dr. Lassiter, what does it look like to experience mental health issues? You, you kind of painted the picture of maybe not being able to get out of bed, but what else, like, you know, so, so that people can recognize if they do have mental health issues and if this is something that they need to get checked out? Yeah, thank you so much for that question, because, you know, I'm, I'm in this world every day. And so sometimes it's good to take a step back to just like, be like, here's some telltale signs, because you're right, there's a lot of folks that don't even recognize that they're experiencing a mental health problem, right? So it can look several ways. So I'm going to just name some. So it could be having difficulty getting out of bed, fatigue, or what we call inertia, difficulty getting going, right? It feels like everything's a struggle to move through. So that's, that's one. Difficulty concentrating, right? You have a hard time keeping your mind on the task at hand. There is difficulty with memory, right? So you can't keep things in your head, right? And there is not feeling pleasure in things that used to bring you pleasure. So you used to really love playing Nintendo Wii. I don't even know if they still have Nintendo Wii, but you know. <laughs> but now you play Nintendo Wii and you're just like, eh, right? You don't, you, you don't, you're not into it anymore. There is, of course, the feeling sad and can't, and sometimes you don't even know why you're sad. You can't pinpoint anything, right? So there, those are several different symptoms. Overeating, undereating, oversleeping, not sleeping enough, insomnia. Insomnia can be a symptom of depression. So all of these things are, can be telltale signs of depression, anxiety, problems controlling worry. Seems like the worry comes out of the blue. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Right? Tenseness, tenseness, tense muscles, stiff muscles can be a sign of anxiety. Agitation, you're on edge. Someone says the smallest thing and you're like, what? I can't believe you said that to me. All of those things can be signs of anxiety. Headaches can be a sign of anxiety. So all of these things is not just, oh, I feel bad, you know, emotionally. But also it shows up. If you've heard me, I've talked about a lot of physical symptoms. It shows up in our bodies. And because we are so primed to think in terms of physical health, oftentimes it's easier for people to recognize those physical symptoms first. And so if you have those physical symptoms and they aren't linked to any particular physical, obvious physical thing, it could also be mental health. But even if it's linked to a physical thing, because again, we have sickle cell. So there's typically always some ache of pain somewhere, right? And it could be sickle cell and mental health. Both things can coexist. So if you find yourself having problems and you find yourself disconnecting, the other thing is not just the presence of those symptoms, but how do those symptoms interfere with your life sure so i always i actually teach abnormal psychology and one of the things we talk about are the four d's right and the four d's are is it dangerous does it create dysfunction right is it keeping you from from fulfilling the roles in your life 
is it deviant, right? Deviance is like, it's like out of the norm, right? And is it distressful? Is it causing you distress? If it's even one of those four Ds, then we're in the realm of mental health problems and we need it be beneficial to talk to someone. But those are some of the things that may look like when it comes to anxiety and depression. Now, there are other mental health I was going to ask, you know, because yes. I know anxiety and depression are what's spotlighted mostly, you know, within chronic illnesses. But what else is there? Is it a spectrum? And what do other mental health issues look like in sickle cell? Yeah. So there, I mean, again, there may be comorbid mental health problems. Yeah. But one of the things that I talked about was that my friends call me a borderline hypochondriac, but hypochondriasis, right? which is now in the in the newest version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the fifth edition. That's what, you know, a psychologist used to diagnose. It's called illness anxiety disorder, but it's worry about being sick, right? It's worrying about being sick or becoming sick. Okay. And again, if you have sickle cell and you feel these aches and pains all the time, right? You're like, oh my God, is something coming on? Am I about to have a crisis? Like, what's going on here? Like, it's my heel. Like, what's good? Like, sometimes that's I'll be that's walking. Me. That's you, right? Right? <laughs> right? I, me too, right? I just like, oh, oh, my hip. Like, oh God, please don't let nothing be about to happen. You know, like, so that's illness, anxiety disorder, right? And does it raise to the level though, where it's causing one of those four Ds in your life that I talked about, right? So illness, anxiety, disorder is one that we could see. Of course, I think you mentioned bipolar disorder, bipolar disorder. We call it bipolar because mental health problems like depression, we call unipolar, which is only goes one way. And bipolar goes both. You have experienced depression and you also experience mania or hypomania. And mania comes with symptoms of feeling super elated, high self-esteem, talkative. Sometimes you can make impulsive decisions. Sometimes they're sexual in nature. Sometimes it's overspending. Sometimes it's feeling like this sense, like I got 80 things to do today and I could do all of them. Right. Right, Without being tired and no sleep and you feel 100% fine and grandiose and you're the best thing that ever happened to life. Yes. Exactly. So, so that can happen as well. So people can experience bipolar disorder as well, right? And we, we distinguish them bipolar one, bipolar two, one has hypomania, which is a milder form of mania or a less, less disorder form of mania, if we, if we can term it that. So there are lots of different, some people dissociate, dissociating meaning not being present in time, right? Losing track of where you are, Sometimes people dissociate out of their bodies, especially if we have pain, right? And our body is a painful place to be. Sometimes our minds are over here, right? And they're not in our bodies. That's dissociation. And that could have developed as a protective factor. In some ways, that may be protect. If you're in so much pain, your mind goes someplace else, that's trying to protect you from not experiencing the trauma of that pain, right? Wow. However, it can it can interfere with your ability to have relationships, interfere with your ability to be in tune and really enjoy your life. And then I mentioned trauma. So there's acute stress disorder. There may be be some post-traumatic stress disorder, post in the sense that maybe we've experienced a particularly 
bad pain crisis. Maybe there was some necrosis or something and we never got over the fact, like, like when I was 15, I had necrosis in my hip and like, I used to dance. I talked about dancing. I couldn't dance in the same way that I used to dance after that. Right. So I could have developed PTSD from that. I didn't, but that sort of thing after the fact could have remained with me. Right. But there's also acute stress disorder, right. Or adjustment disorder where there's a hard time dealing with a, a stressor that's present, right? And and a chronic illness is a is a ever-present stressor. So when, when we're stressed out, our sympathetic nervous system can be chronically activated, which can have negative effects for our health, which leads to some of that fatigue because our stress hormones are elevated for a, a long period of time, which can contribute to organ damage, right? And also a harder time healing from from things like colds and other infections and things like that. So all these things are different ways in which mental health can can show up in people with with sickle cell. I hope that answers your question. I tried to give you like a flavor of a lot of different ones. Oh, I appreciate that. And we have a comment from Facebook that says I've had horrible panic attacks since I was 12. So for 20 years, I've lived with panic disorder. Thankfully, I found a wonderful psych doctor. So I'm not sure if panic attacks is, I guess, a non-scientific way or, you know, is is one of the things that you mentioned or if that's something separate. Yeah. So it's panic attacks and panic disorders. And I'll try not to get, try not to get too pedantic in this. (laughs) (laughs) Try to, try to keep it, try to keep it, you know, direct and, and simple. But yeah, so there are panic attacks and panic attack is just this situation where we people usually experience it's usually then like one to two minutes. Right. But it's this this quickly and it, it peaks very quickly, but it comes on quickly and people feel heart palpitations. Some people say they feel like they're having a heart attack. Right. They're sweating. There's trembling. Some people may feel a sense of choking or drowning or impending doom or being out of control. So that's a panic attack. And panic disorder is when people have those often, right, or several times, and then there is the worry about having a panic attack. So, So panic disorder is, again, it's accompanied with the worry about actually having a panic attack. But the panic attack itself is more of those physical bodily sensations. But again, that's a particular manifestation of anxiety that people with sickle cell definitely can experience. Thank you. Thank you so much for that explanation. It's really eye-opening. I'm like already self-diagnosing <laughs> myself with a lot of these. And, you know, I, without having this conversation, like I would have been like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, and it's not that I'm not cool or anything, but it's nice to have a name to look into, to see if this is something that I might be experiencing. And of course, when you have a diagnosis, you have ways on how to cope or manage with it. So like I said, this is very eye-opening for me. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy to provide some of this information. And again, it's like I said, what does it look like? I think that's a great place to be and and get that information. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you covered a lot of what we were talking about in terms of, you know, misconceptions and things like that in terms of what does it mean to deal with stigma? What does it mean to have sickle cell coexisting or comorbid 
conditions and how do we basically become holistic in our care of our body and mind and our spirit as people with sickle cell. And I think we can't talk about it without talking about the good things about talking about mental health and what it leads to. And I think that for me, I've had my experiences as a person with sickle cell and having horrible crises and then also having doctors in the hospital judge me because of my bipolar disorder and assume things about me because of it. And that's not cool. And it makes things even more complicated and difficult. And, you know, I've had moments where I've walked into therapy sessions and my insurance changed on me. And I've had to start all over with new providers and, you know, things like that. And that's very challenging to deal with this healthcare system, especially in America, because that's the only system that I know. And the capitalist system that tells us, you know, our bodies are not important enough to make money off of in terms of a cure or, you know, more other, you know, other kinds of things that we use to basically heal ourselves. And so with that being said, I've noticed that over time, as I started to talk about mental health and to start to ask for help and created my community of one, and then that community became a community of two and three. And it still is probably about four, but you know, it's, it's what I need. And I think we should talk about what's the beauty of talking about mental health. What does that allow a person to do with themselves if they are struggling with something and when they are able to open up and what does it lead to when we start to open this door and, you know, talk about things that we don't like to talk about. And because we always think it's a, it's, I don't want to add another problem to the problems that I have, but it's not a problem. So what do we do, doctor? Yeah. So thank you so much for this question, because whether we talk about it or not, it's there. It's there. It does not go away. It's there. And one of the words you use is beauty. One of the beautiful things about letting others in and talking about these things is that we quickly find out we are not alone. We are not alone. And we're not so different or weird that everyone's dealing with something. I may be dealing with depression because I'm dealing with sickle cell, but my friend that I'm talking to may be dealing with depression because of her weight. And my other friend may be dealing with depression because of self-esteem, right? And so there are ways in which when we start to talk, about these things, we quickly realize that it's not something to be stigmatized, but it's really just part of the human condition. And it's part of the human condition because the world in which we all live in, and again, as you said, Naeem, the American context, because that's what I know as well, definitely in this United States context, we live in a very capitalistic society that says our worth is tied up in what we produce. And again, as people with sickle cell, some of us, we have, we have varying levels of productivity. Some days we're super productive. Some days we're not. Some of us, we, it, again, if we can make it through the day, then that is, you know, the Mount Everest of that day. So there's, some of us don't even have it in us to try to work on anyone's job. Right. Or try to work on, 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 on business of our own. Nothing. Right. So 
But regardless of whether we are a CEO, regardless of whether we are an admin, regardless of whether we don't work at all and we get SSI, we still have value. We still have value. It's innate in us. It doesn't matter what we do. Sometimes I tell my friends, I'm like, listen, if I lay on this couch for the rest of my life, I still know that I'm someone. I still know that I'm someone valuable, right? And when we start to talk to other people, we see that reflected back because nine times out of 10, the people that we're talking to, we value them, right? And if we can see ourselves the way we see them, sometimes when I'm working with my clients and they're super critical for themselves, I say, now imagine if you were talking to an eight-year-old, would you, would you, and they did this thing that you're criticizing yourself for, would you tell them the same horrible things you told yourself about that? Or imagine if you were talking to your best friend and they, they did that thing, they procrastinated and waited to the last minute. Would you say those horrible things to them that you said to yourself? No, no. I mean, you know, right, so why are you saying it to yourself? You don't believe that you deserve, right? And so we have to have those conversations. And so I think having those conversations opens that up. We learn that we're not alone. We learn that we're not some sort of outlier, that we're some weirdo, that we're somehow innately flawed because we see it reflected back in the people that we have. And it can, again, contribute to compassion, self-compassion, because we usually have compassion for those that we're in conversation with. And then it can be reflected back on ourselves. You mentioned something, though, that I wanted to mention. And I don't want to go to church here. You know, I, I said I was, you know, born and raised in the South and grew up in the church. But I often talk, think mind, body, spirit, right? When I talk about mental health, I don't make any false separations, right? That's a very Western thing to separate health into, you know, the physical and the mental and the, and the spiritual. But I say, no, all of these things are combined. And so there are ways in which we can intervene on one and it has an effect on all, right? And there are ways in which we are addressing all of them at the same time. And so that may look different ways, but I definitely think that if we are neglecting any one of those, the other two will suffer. Yeah. I think you're 100% right about that. 100%. And I think I'm a sociologist by trade, so I got to I got to zoom out a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, for me, we talked a lot about the individual today, but I also want to remind those who see people struggling to reach in. Mm-hmm. To reach in to those who can't reach out, to be an ear, to be a person who is open to talk to who can take that late night phone call, you know, if it's in your capacity and your ability to do so. And to remember that it's not a one size fit all just because you decide that you want to reach in and help someone or to be that leaning ear and guide or friend. It doesn't mean that they have to do it the way you want them to do it either. So it's just being there and knowing that that person has someone that if anything goes wrong that they can talk to, even if you can't fix it for them, you're just there. So reach in. If you see somebody that you know is starting to withdraw and become isolated and is not doing the things that they used to do, or you're just concerned, ask them about it. Talk to them. Don't be scared to to have serious conversations because like we said, it could lead to beautiful things where both friends can develop a deeper relationship. 
So with that said, I don't know, Cassandra, did you want to say anything else? Yeah, I, I actually wanted to add to that and that because that just reminds me of finding your sickle cell tribe. I think that's the the phrase I'm using. And, you know, it wasn't until I talked with someone going through living with sickle cell disease in, in which, you know, I finally felt heard and validated. And so just to add my two cents to all of this, I think finding people who are going through the exact, well, not the exact same thing, but who can understand has helped me, you know, manage the disease. And I I attribute it to part of my advocacy work. And I attribute it to living a full life with sickle cell because as mentioned before, it's an isolating disease. And so to have someone understand that wince you have or have them understand like just you saying you're in pain, but it's the way you say it's not even what you say, it's the way you say it. And they know exactly what you're going through. That to me is so valuable. And so you both talked about, you know, finding your one. I would like to add that making sure that, you know, you find someone who can relate enough to you and really just gets it because that that is part of taking care of yourself and, and taking care of your mental health. So that's, like I said, I don't know, what do I know? But that's my two cents and all of that. And that that's what's really helped me. Yeah. yeah. And that's you know a lot. Me too. You know a lot. Own it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I want to ask another question. So we've talked about some of the mental health issues, but we don't like talking about issues without talking about solutions. So what do we do? We find out we're diagnosed with a mental health issue or, you know, we think we have it and we want to get better. Can we talk a little bit about how how we can cope, how we can heal, how we can manage, you know, our our mental health in, in positive ways? Yeah, well, as I said, depending on where you are, oftentimes there are ways to be connected to mental health services through your hematologist or primary care provider. So I think that's always an avenue that one could take if you want to go the more formal route, right? But there are also some informal ways or more traditional ways as in, again, relying on that community, having that community, people that get it, right, to, to talk to. Also, again, leaning into one's spirituality. For some people, they're like really spiritual, right? And so like that can help them transcend those pain episodes and those moments of pain and those, whether physical or mental, right? And so leaning into one's spirituality, really relying on one's spirituality can be helpful as well. Also, there are things that we can do. And again, depending on one's level of physicality and impairment and things like that, but Exercise can be a very good thing when it comes to decreasing pain. And and, and it also releases endorphins, which just makes us naturally happy, right? So that could be a sort of like a home remedy, if you will, in, in that sense as well. Also eating well, 
right? We know that diet is very important for us and staying hydrated. <laughs> we have to stay hydrated, right? When we have um, sickle cell anemia. So there are lots of things that we can do that, again, go to that mind, body, spirit. It's not just one. And I would recommend doing all of the above as much as possible because we are whole people, right? And so we want to take care of the the totality of us. And there are many different ways to do that. Again, whether going that formal route or going some of these more traditional community-based routes, right? And again, I, I love your point, Naima, as well as you, Cassandra, about also our communities reaching into us when they do reach in to us, right? We need to be receptive and let them in, right? Because sometimes, again, as we mentioned earlier, we may feel like it's a burden or maybe I could tell them this, but I can't tell them that because it's going to be too much for them. Right. Which goes back to your point, Cassandra, by making sure that we have people that actually get it. Right. And taking that chance and, and really laying it there. If they if they say you can talk to me, talk to them, take them at their word. Right. And so there are lots of different things that we can do to take care of our mental health. And, and for some that may include medication, for some it may not. But I also wanted to mention medication in particular because I think there's also a stigma around taking a medication for mental health as well. And for some people, medication is not necessary. There can be behavioral things that they do that helps mitigate or decrease the mental health problems, but for some people, medication is appropriate and that's fine too. Yeah. And I'm a big advocate on doing what you need for you and your care provider or your, your care team. You advocating for yourself or having others advocate for you is always a great thing, but being in conversation with your care team about what your needs are and taking a chance on things, even if you're nervous or scared about it. And knowing that you have the agency to say yes or no, to make decisions, to try, to stop, to start. It's never a final, it's your body. It's your mind, it's your spirit. Like Jonathan said, it's, it's you and it's up to you to make the decisions. And then when you do decide to make those decisions, you have the right and you have the ability to change your mind. Just remember that. Try different things. Keep trying. Until you find the thing that works. Yes, because sometimes it, it's a process. And that goes with therapy, too. I often tell people that when it comes to therapy. They say, how do I find the right therapist? But you may have to go through five people before you find the right therapist. It's but a relationship. It's a relationship, but keep trying. Yeah. I yeah. like that you provided those tangible ways on, on how to seek help. I also like that you provide, you know, non-traditional ways because, you know, we have a global audience. Not everybody has access to a psychologist or some of the resources, even within the United States, not everybody has access and we still do need that support. And so it's great to have those additional options and in which people can take action within their own hands and, and get themselves the help that they need. I would also add to that meditation can be very helpful. There's something called progressive muscle relaxation. You know, you can go on YouTube and Google that, but it's ways to relax one's body from head to toe. It's a systematic way of doing that. Mindfulness can be helpful for some folks. So there are lots of different 
things that help us get in our body. Again, with sickle cell, sometimes we want to run away from our body, but the remedy may actually be in learning how to be with our body in a non-judgmental way and actually welcoming our body, even if we're in the moment of pain. Again, I used when I was at the VA, I, I co-led a chronic pain group, and this was with veterans, so they had pain stemming from injuries they had sustained in combat. But one of the things we talked about was dirty and clean pain. And when what we talked about with clean pain is that that's just the pain itself. That's the physical sensations of the pain. And then dirty pain is when we put the negative thoughts on top of that pain. Right. And yeah. so when folks add those negative thoughts on top of the pain, it exacerbates. It makes it the pain, the, the feeling, the sensation, the perception of pain so much worse. Right. And so one of the ways in which we can get help or or or, or start working ourselves, even if we don't have access to a mental health professional, is to start to monitor the ways in which we talk to ourselves. How do we talk to ourselves about who we are, as I was saying earlier, would you say this to an eight-year-old? Would you say this to your best friend? But also, how do we talk to ourselves about our pain? Are we saying when we feel something, is it like, oh, this is going to lead to me not being able to do this ever again? This is going to lead to some sort of disability. Oh, you know, I'm going to be in bed all day now. You know, like, how are we talking to ourselves about that pain? Oh, this is just another thing. I mean, and some of it's inevitable, right? Sometimes we're going to say those things. But is it a pattern? Is it a way of, does it, is it a way of life? Because if it's a way of life, then our mental health is constantly going to be negatively impacted. So starting with that inner dialogue is something that we can do ourselves, right? Yeah, I would agree with that too. I think a lot about my own personal battles with my own mental health, whether I'm in a good space or, or not a good space. It's really about how I'm talking to myself and the words I use to describe myself or situations. And I'm learning in my own healing process to see things in a different light that's not so negative, not so pessimistic. I love that. Such great insight from both of you on, on this. And like I said, it's it's very, very eye-opening. Naeem, I don't know if you want to talk about any additional resources available to people. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that there are, for people who may not have anybody to talk to, or even if you do have somebody to talk to, but you want to talk to a stranger, or you you just are in that moment, and it's that weird time of the night, and you just know that there's nobody that could answer everybody sleeping, there's national hotlines that you could always call and utilize. And some people wonder, they're like, do people utilize the hotlines? Yes, they do. They do utilize the hotlines. And I will admit that once when I was in my teenage years, I used the suicide hotline and it helped me. So I wanted to just give at least a shout out to a few numbers and some organizations. And so just thinking about nationally within America, we have the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So you can call 1-800-273-TALK. There's the Trevor Lifeline. There is also Trans Lifeline. There's the Crisis Text Line. So let's say you don't feel like talking and you just want to text somebody. You can text NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741-741. 
and just talk to a professional who can help you get through whatever crisis that you're going through and get the support and tools that you may need to take the next step. You know, sometimes it's just figuring out the process or the step to take next and having a different ear to hear you in your moment. And so we'll have that posted all over Sickle Cell 101 for anybody who's interested in getting it in a synthesized and place. But yeah, I really, really wanted to thank you, Jonathan, for coming and talking with us today or this evening. And it's been very eye-opening and a wonderful conversation. Before we close out, I did, I did want to get to some of the questions that we yeah. had in the audience. For the both of you, you know, either one of you can answer. The first one is, I've always been curious if the damaged cells flowing through our bodies and brains create more mental health issues in people with sickle cell and aspects of physical limitations. I'm pausing on that because I don't want to speak outside of my expertise. <laughs> and, and so I don't really, I can't really talk about the effects of the damaged cells from a physiological level because I, do, I don't believe that they like just stick around. I think they like <laughs> get absorbed, you know, recycle and all that stuff. So I don't think that we constantly have like damaged cells there. But, you know, I, I'm starting to think on like a spiritual level, right, in this sense, or a metaphysical level in that way. And so there is something about having sickle cell, literally sickle cells, right, floating around in our bodies, these things that aren't holding oxygen and things like that. And so I do think that that besides beyond the physical effects, right, if we think on a metaphysical level, of course, there's some connection. I mean, if that's the way, if that's the lens in through which you see the world, there definitely is some connection. And so it becomes even more imperative that we are finding ways to emphasize wholeness in our life, given that our red blood cells in some ways are not whole, right? So then how do we then, how do we create wholeness in other ways, right? And so I think, I think there's something there, but again, I can't speak to like, the physiological effects of that. So I won't comment on that. <laughs> no, that's already so insightful. Yeah. And it puts good. a different lens on, on the situation. And another that's a very good question also. It makes me wonder, it makes me want to go do some research and look and see if anybody's studying something like that right now. Absolutely. I have another comment from Facebook. It says, I'm a parent of two children with sickle cell five and 10. So I haven't had to deal with much. My son is 10 and I don't want him to feel less than his peers. I'll turn this into a question. Any advice on parents who are raising kids with living with sickle cell disease and you know how to already provide the resources they need should their mental health you know, impact them negatively? Well, I'll say I always think about my mother and I, I always wonder how she did it because she she didn't have the resources that I'm talking about now. She did not have those. And like my mom had like the Bible and like faith and that was it. Right. And so like I'm just like, no. So part of it, one of those is that if that's important to you. Right. Then lean on your spiritual resources. But also, though, educate yourself. Right. As a parent, I always encourage parents to educate themselves about not only the physical and medical resources, but also the mental health resources. Educate yourself on how sickle cell may influence self-image and self-esteem, especially for adolescents, right? As your child gets ready to go into adolescence. A lot of us have delayed puberty, 
right? A lot of us are smaller than our peers. I know for me, like I'm 5'2 and like 123 pounds, right? And so I've always been like the tiniest thing in my classes. And I remember asking my mom, mom, when am I going to grow? And like, you know, it just never happened, right? And now, you know, I'm 37. I finally own all of it, right? But it took me to being 30. I literally did not like feel like comfortable about this until I was 30 years old, right? So I think if I would have, my mom would have had that information and could have normalized it a little bit more. Maybe I would have got there a little bit earlier. I don't know. So I would recommend that parents learn as much as possible for themselves so that when the time comes, they'll be equipped to give that to their children. I agree with that too. I love that. I love that. All right, I have a question from Instagram that says, can you talk about navigating social life upon reaching teen and adolescent years? So this is actually kind of what you've already spoken on. Any more insight on, you know, just that social factor of this or that social aspect? Yeah, like I said, Adolescence, even if you don't have sickle cell, it's a time that can be very trying for your mental health, right? Because you have peers that can be brutal, right? And so, but especially when you have sickle cell and you may have limitations, you can't attend social events, sporting events the same in the same ways. You know, you may get tired, so on and so forth. You may have very, sometimes parents are very overprotective, right? And so they don't want you to be going out and doing all those things. And so I would say, paying attention to ways to build self-esteem. So maybe you can't go out and participate in some of the physically taxing events, but what are some other hobbies or social activities or ways you can participate in, whether it's your spiritual community or civic community or artistic community that can provide a sense of development, right? That can provide a sense of connection And all of these things can contribute to self-esteem, developing healthy self-esteem and and healthy self-image. So that's what's on the top of my head. But I want to open it up because you all have lived experience. So what what do you all think? I think for me, I had to do a lot of modifications. So like if I wanted to go to the beach, I always got like, especially when I was in high school, I got the wind blew and I got sick. Like I didn't understand that. And I hated it because I wanted to go to the beach so bad. So as I got older and like when I go to the beach now, I am the king of the beach. I have my hat, my sunscreen and my my basically my tent, my water jug. I have all the things. I don't even touch the water, but I'm just like, you know, modification so I can enjoy myself without getting in the water, which makes me sick. You know what I'm saying? So it's like learning what I can do and can't do and just coming to acceptance. I think a lot of it has to do with acceptance and not fighting it and feeling overwhelmed by not being able to do what everybody else can do. You have to just be okay with doing something a little different, or maybe instead of being on the basketball team, you can be the the person who is like the coach's assistant, you know, instead of being the player. It's just learning how to do different things so that you're still a part of a community and you're still participating and enjoying your adolescence but you're not getting sick. Absolutely. I I co-sign that 100%. And the only thing I would add to that, and that's what has worked for me in my life, it's never a no for me. It's just how do we make this fit my life? And just as Naeem beautifully put it, it's not a no. It's just what can we change to make it fit? 
And sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get there or, you know, it's a different route, but you can still be, for example, you know, traveling, doctor saying I couldn't travel, but, you know, I, I travel all the time and I have my oxygen with me. I'm making sure I have that backpack water thing on the airplane with me. I'm warm, you know, and so just going back to what you just said, Naeem, it really is, you know, making modifications to, to make life fit your life. So yeah, because I want to have a good time while I'm here. I want to have a good time. I, I spent so many years <laughs> sad and lonely, not knowing anybody who got sickle cell or just yeah. sitting in the hospital, sad and, and lonely and, and in pain and worrying if I was going to die and if I was going to graduate from high school. No more of that. Now I'm going to just make it work for me. I'm going to figure it out. And we're going to, I'm going to have a community that's going to help me get through it. That's just personal. And I love what you said about acceptance too. Because I think about that, like if only I could have assimilated that sooner in my life. (laughs) Because some of the things too that I'm not able to do, there's so many other things that I can do. And it's actually like benefited me, right? That doing the alternative, right? Has actually benefited me because it's equipped me with a different set of skills. So for instance, as a, as a very young child, I really couldn't do a lot of things that, that required a lot of physical exertion, but I was a bookworm. And like that really ended up helping me out in life a lot. <laughs> so, but you know, so that acceptance is that sometimes the things that may seem as a limitation could actually end up being a blessing. Absolutely. And I think there's something that goes around the community saying that, you know, people with sickle cell are really smart. Like we're brainiacs because, you know, we we're not (laughs) in PE playing sports, but we got our nose in books and we're looking things up. We have to navigate this complex genetic disorder. So obviously we, we have to learn about our bodies and in that way. So like you said, we're, we're brainiacs and we should definitely see that as an ad instead of a negative. So the last question I'll ask is from Instagram. It's a really good one. And this is actually something that I would love to know for myself. Suggestions on dealing with pain caused by stress and mental distress. And then also to add on my two cents to this, what does your mentality look like when you're going through pain? Like how, how do you get through pain and how do you make sure you're, you're going to be okay and yeah, equip your mind for that? You want to go first, Nang? Oh boy. <laughs> it's this is, I get into a zone when I deal with pain that I am not my body in terms of I'm bigger and stronger than what's happening. So as I'm hurting and I'm in a lot of pain, I go into a quiet place. I kind of meditate. I try to do what I enjoy the most, which in, when I'm in pain, obviously I can't do much. So I like try to escape into books, movies, TV, music, friends and family, talking to them. I like to get really close. When I get sick, I get really emotional <laughs> and I want to be around people I love. So for me now, it's just taking my pills when the when it hits right away so I'm not stressing my body any more than it needs to trying to fight something and just dealing with my care team and getting in my mental space that works for me to help me process the pain to get over it to be able to be on the other side of a crisis but it's complex and it's different every time because every crisis is different 
Thank you, Naeem. Thank you. I relate to so much of that. For me, it depends on the severity of the pain. Again, sometimes it's like a two through a five, right? Or a six. And then sometimes the emotion is frustration. Like, oh, God, I go through this again. Oh, no, again. Like, oh, you know, come on now. Like, you know. I got to go to a party tonight. My leg right. hurts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, so sometimes it's that, but when it's, when it's that it starts to get to that very distressful pain, like it's really hurting. It's, it's, and then it can get to, sometimes I'm able to get to that Zen place. Sometimes I'm not able to get to that Zen place. Sometimes I go down a very dark rabbit hole. Right. And again, and I, and, and I want to disappear. Like I was talking about with the Thanos snap. Right. So it depends. And for me though, you said something naive about, depending on your support system. Like I get very emotional. I get very, very, I'm pretty good about managing my emotions outside of pain. Episode. In a pain episode, I'm like, I just wanna, and I don't know why. Like, you know, like I, I turn to a three-year-old and right. you know- the people, I wanna lay on your chest. Give me a hug. <laughs> I miss my mom. You know, I live in New Jersey. My mom lives in Georgia. I'm like, I don't even want my mama. Yeah, I don't even talk to my mom when I'm missing her. Yeah. <laughs> and so, oh yeah, I get super emotional. But luckily, I have people around me that will, will allow me to be a baby. They will okay. allow me. Like, people know that when I'm not feeling well, I'm a baby. I'm the first one to, I'm a, some people like, you know, like shoulder it, not me. I'm a baby. Like, so having people around me that's going to allow me to be a baby really helps while I move through it. Because it's like you said, you're not your body. And for most of us, most of the time, we do get through it. There is another side. It's just about trying to manage it as much as possible until we move through it. I think there was another part of that question, Cassandra, with us. Yeah. The other part is suggestions on dealing with pain caused by stress and mental distress. Yeah. So I'll chime in here because I think stress is probably my number one trigger as an adult. Maybe it was as a child too, but I just didn't recognize. But as an adult, I really like when I'm stressed, I start to feel the pain. And so my thing is like, I can't, I can't do stress. If a situation a deadline, a person starts to stress me out, I got to cut it out. I I have got to cut it out immediately. And, it's, and you know, I don't feel bad about it either. You know, so, so some folks have problems setting boundaries, right? They may feel like they're being mean or going to hurt someone's feeling. I'm like, no, this is my life. Like, you can't be in it and stress me out. Because the last time I was hospitalized, because I was stressed out over something a colleague said at work. He was critiquing. I hear you on that. I hear you on that. Yeah. He was critiquing my performance at work. And that coupled with like being on the job market at the time and like, are they going to call me back? Are they going to call me back? And I went out with a friend that night. I had a couple of drinks, got dehydrated. So that dehydration in combination with that stressful situation, I had a pain crisis within the hospital for 10 days. That moment after that, I said, never again. No one, I would never allow someone to get me that stressed out. So yeah. for me, I can't, I, so I recommend 
if stress is one of your triggers, eliminate the source of stress and don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Do not feel exactly. bad about the it. The guilt is the cycle. Mm-hmm. The cycle of stress also. So the mm-hmm. guilt is, is, doesn't help you. Right. And it may be easier said than done. So I it do want to recognize that maybe some people can't get it. Maybe you live with your stressor. Maybe your stressor is your partner. I don't know. Right. But in what ways? I think that's even more motivation to then figure out, OK, well, what about this relationship is stressing me out? And let me pay some attention to this. Let me try to remedy that. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so, so, so very much, the two of you. Wow, it's been an incredibly insightful conversation about mental health and sickle cell and its impact on people within the sickle cell community. We probably have hours upon hours more to talk about. This is just one, and it should be just one of many conversations because, you know, there's Gosh, I, I wanted to dig into PTSD. I wanted to dig into, you know, suicidality and, you know, just all the other layers to this. And so I, I hope we can keep the conversation going. I want to thank everyone for joining us today on the Sickle Cell Podcast. So as we discuss these topics that are, are extremely important to the community. Thank you to our, our guests. Thank you, Naeem, for, for holding it down for us. And Dr. Lassiter, thank you so much. We, we've learned so, so very much during this session. I do want to provide a disclaimer because, you know, we have to. But a quick reminder to listeners that this podcast is for educational purposes only. So please always seek medical advice from your primary care physician or your hematologist. We always advocate for individualized medicine. Blanket statements do not help anybody. You got to dig into everything about you. So make sure that you are talking to someone who knows you and can actually provide helpful feedback. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I will ask Dr. Lassiter, please, how do we find you? How do we follow you? Where can we follow your work? (laughs) <laughs> yes, thank you so much for asking me that. And thank you so much for having me on here. I do several talks around mental health. One of my areas of expertise is Black LGBT people. So I do a lot of talks around that, but I don't often get to talk about the intersection of mental health and sickle cell, which, as you know, I've said, affects me personally. So I'm so happy to have this opportunity. So thank you both for the opportunity to do this. So you can find me on all the socials. Instagram is at J.M. Lassiter, Ph.D. And so that's J.M. and Lassiter, my last name, Ph.D. And on Twitter is at Matt, M-A-T-J-L, at Matt, M-A-T-J-L. You can also Google me. I'm easily Googleable. So put my name in and Google will take you to my website, so on and so forth. And so I'm, I'm happy to be of service if to continue to the discussion and to provide resources. So reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk about mental health. I love that. Thank you so much. Please follow him. I I am certainly going to so many gems that, you know, adding to my collection here and just a lot of great tangible advice. So I appreciate the conversation. Naeem, I don't want to put you out there, but I don't... Would you like to share your your handle as well? I don't post a lot on social media, so there's not much to see. 
But if you do want to see me on Twitter, you want to see a bunch of Nets fan stuff and some <laughs> random retweets, it'll be the Prof Sadat on Twitter. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Naeem. And for, you know, just to find our educational sickle cell 101s, educational content, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at sickle cell 101. We're also on YouTube too. This live will be saved on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. So if you miss any parts or you want to go back and listen, you can find that on all of those platforms. So make sure you follow us, show us some love. If you have any questions, please send us an email or topics you'd like us to discuss. What should we be doing our podcast episodes on? Send us an email to to podcast at sc101.org with any questions or topics. You can also text us. We have a text number. So for those who want to text, it's 408-706-2803. And you can text us with questions and topics as well. So to close out, again, I just want to say thank you. This has been very excellent. It's been fantastic. And like I said, hopefully just the first of many, many conversations. I really think it's something that the community needs to hear more about. So thank you once again, and we will catch you all next time. Bye everyone. Thank Thank you. you.